God. You guys remember last week when I said how weird it was to start a series on depression and anxiety on our birthday Sunday? And I was like, oh, it's like back to church Sunday. You know, everybody's coming back for the first time after summer break. And I know it's weird to have this conversation about darkness and despair and anxiety and difficult days. Shouldn't we start with something happier? Remember I had that conversation? Then I said, I don't know. It feels like God has a plan in all of this. I really think this is what he wants us to talk about this series. And then... In the space of one press conference this week, every single Albertan became depressed. And I was like, oh God, you knew what you were doing here. Okay, this is the reason we're having this conversation. Here's what I know. There are many of you that showed up to the service last week and this whole discussion of depression and despair, isolation, loneliness, dark days, all of that was kind of an intellectual exercise for you. You're like, oh yeah, I don't really struggle with that, but I know some people who do, so maybe I'll learn something that will help them or something. But today, this is a lot more personal. You are feeling this yourself after new regulations and rules and all those different things. And so I'm hoping that today our conversation is going to help you to get out of that cave, to live in the light of Jesus and in the freedom that he offers to every single one of us. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to focus very specifically on the story of a prophet named Elijah. All right, Elijah is a very famous figure from the Old Testament. And what we're going to discover is that the things that caused Elijah to slide into a season of depression are the very same things that have the potential to you, for you and I to slide into a season of depression. If we're not careful, the very same things that he battled, they are present in our lives today. And so what I hope is that this message for some of you will be diagnostic. That is, it will help you if you find yourself in this season where you're feeling down and you can't seem to break free, you'll be able to look at this and say, ah, I see some of the things that were present in Elijah's story and how they got me to where I am today. I also hope that some of these things will kind of be like a flashing light for some of you, you know, where you'll look at them and say, oh, those are true of me right now. And if I don't address them, I might end up in the very same place that he is, all right? So I'm guessing this is going to be a very practical message for you guys. Now, uh, if you didn't catch the message, uh, if you didn't catch the announcement, rather, we're doing three services right now to accommodate all the rules and capacity limits and social distancing and stuff. And so the services to, like, preserve the energy and, like, brains and minds of our volunteers are only 45 minutes long. So we've got to move really, really quick. They only gave me 25 minutes instead of my typical 35 minutes to preach. So I've got a lot of ground to cover and I should quit talking about how I don't have a lot of time and just get to it. All right, here we go. Let's read first Kings chapter number 19. If we start in verse number one, look at this story. Oh, it's so interesting. Okay. First Kings 19, uh, verse number one. When Ahab, when King Ahab got home, he told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done. You're like, wait, who's Ahab? Who's Jezebel? We'll get there. All right. He included the way that Elijah had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then the scripture says he laid down, he passed out underneath the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. 
Then the angel of the Lord came to him again and said, uh, and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Interesting. We've been talking about Mount Sinai over the last several weeks in our series called Presence, right? So the same mountain that uh, Moses encountered God on, Elijah is going to encounter God here on this, uh, on this same mountain. The Bible says, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. That's where we get this imagery of a cave. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then Elijah replied, oh God, you know what's going on, man. I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken the covenant with you. They've torn down the altars. They've killed all the prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too, God. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And I want you to, I'm just going to pause here before we read this, because I want you to pick up on the same imagery that we saw on Mount Sinai with Moses and his encounter with God. We're going to see the same sort of imagery here, but with a twist. So as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the scripture says there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Some translations say there was a still small voice speaking. Now, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, oh, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down the altars and they've killed all your prophets and I'm the only one that's even left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah is in a bad way, you guys. He is in a very bad situation here. And although you probably can't relate to like exactly what he's dealing with, the things that he have led him to this point of despair and crying out to God, they really are the very same things that you have to battle today in 2021. So what we're gonna do today is I'm gonna give you five things that we see from the scripture that led Elijah to the cave of depression and despair. Five ways that we find ourselves trapped in the cave of anxiety and depression. The first one, I hope you're taking notes, is life imbalance. Life imbalance leads to getting trapped in the cave. So in verse number one, Ahab told Queen Jezebel all the things that Elijah had done. And anytime you read something like that in the scripture, it actually forms a clue that says, hey, go back and read all the things that Elijah had done because it will help give you some context and some background information to make sense out of what's coming. Now, I don't have time to read all of 1 Kings 17 and 18 to you, but those are the two chapters that introduce us to the prophet Elijah. And I just wanna hit the highlights of what had happened. Basically, if you were to read Read those two chapters, you would find out that for three years, Elijah was running at 100%, at a completely unsustainable pace. He had been going full bore without any break whatsoever. So we read in verse Kings chapter number 17 that Elijah correctly predicts or prophesies a drought that's gonna hit the country of Israel. So he says, hey guys, get ready. God's not gonna send rain for a really, really long time. It's gonna be a tough season for us. And that drought came to pass. Then we read in 1 Kings 17 that because of the drought, there's no food and Elijah himself is starving. And so God sends ravens, like the big black birds. And they show up and they bring him bread and meat from somewhere. 
and he eats it, and he is sustained. It's like this crazy miracle, right? Then there was a widow in a town that he was in, and because of the, the drought and the famine, she and her son had no food. And so Elijah performs this miracle in which he multiplies bread and oil so that they are fed throughout the entirety of the drought. A little while later, the son gets sick, and he dies, so she calls Elijah up, the, the mom does, and she's like, Elijah, my son's died, what do I do? And he said, don't worry, I'm coming over. So he showed up at her house, he prays for the boy, and it's one of the few times in scripture that somebody is raised from the dead. You guys, that's 1 Kings 17. One chapter, your boy does all of that stuff. Then we get to 1 Kings 18, which is literally one of the most famous miracles in the entire Bible. Basically, there are these prophets of Baal, and they're leading people to worship this false god named Baal. And Elijah's like, no, 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 we serve the god Yahweh. Why are you guys worshiping him? He says, tell you what, let's find out who the real god is. We're going to have a showdown. So they go to the top of another mountain called Carmel, and they get to the top. Man, Mount Carmel sounds good. I'm not going to lie, but it's not that kind of Carmel. Anyway, so they get to the top of the mountain, and uh, he says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to put two sacrifices on the altars, and we're going to pray. And we're gonna ask whoever God is real, whichever one is real up there, to send fire down and to consume the sacrifice. And so if your God consumes your sacrifice, then we'll know that Baal is real. And if uh, my sacrifice is burnt up by fire from the sky, then we'll know that Yahweh is real. So the, uh, the prophets of Baal, there are 450 of them, and they get to work. You know, They start crying out, they're praying, they're worshiping their God. The Bible says they're cutting themselves, which is like a thing that they did. And it went on for hours and hours and hours. And the whole time, okay, Elijah is over there watching them. And 1 Kings 18 tells us he starts mocking them. True story. He's like, hey, where's your God at, guys? Is he busy? Did he go on vacation or something? Believe it or not, he actually says, is your God off taking a dump somewhere? He does. He says, your God using the bathroom? Is he unavailable to answer your prayers at the moment? And after a while, he's like, okay, enough of all of your foolishness. And he prays this really short, simple prayer. And fire comes from heaven and it completely obliterates the sacrifice. And so immediately we know that Yahweh is the true God and Baal is not. There's a battle, like literally a physical sword fight that starts in the moment and Elijah kills a bunch of the prophets of Baal. Then he goes on and he prophesies or he prays and he asks God to release the rain that had been held. And so it starts raining for the first time in three years. Ahab is so mad at Elijah that he starts to pursue him. And the Bible says that God gives special grace, special strength to uh, Elijah and he is able to outrun Ahab despite the fact that Ahab is is traveling by horse and he's on foot. All of that in two chapters. And then suddenly we find Elijah and he is at his wit's end. Why? Because he has been going so hard for so long that the moment there's a, a second of quietness, he just collapses in exhaustion, in weariness. He's got nothing left to give because he hasn't had any margin or any break. It's no wonder that he nearly died. He's been running at a completely unsustainable pace for all this time. Can I challenge you to recognize that you and I are guilty of doing the same thing? We run at an unsustainable pace. We push and we press and we keep working and we don't take days off. And we don't build margin into our lives. And it's no wonder that the moment things get quiet, we just collapse in exhaustion. We have no other recourse. It's like our bodies are telling us, guys, we need to slow down. But we never take the time to do it. 
as I was prepping for this message, this was an area where the Holy Spirit was really like stepping on my toes, you guys. Like all nine of them, he was like, you need to pay attention here. This is an area, Dan, where you need to work. You've got some work to do. You're pushing and pressing and trying to keep up and work hard and all of this stuff, but you can't do that forever. You can't push hard forever. Eventually, you will collapse if you continue to live a life of imbalance. Have you noticed how in 2021, we define effectiveness by busyness? We define effectiveness by, by, by business. So we're out in the lobby and we're like, hey, how's life going? What is the answer that everybody gives? Busy. I'm busy. It's real busy. Like <laughs> seasons of life should be busy. Yes. But life itself is not meant to be busy. If you spend your entire life, like decade after decade, and the answer you give to describe what life is like for you is busy, you're going to find yourself in trouble sooner or later. Because God has designed you to live in rhythms of rest and margin. And if you give 100%, 100% of the time, eventually you're going to crap out. Your body is just going to give out. Your mind is going to be so exhausted it's going to quit. Like, I, I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, okay? You already know all of this, but can I encourage you to realize that you're the one that's in charge of your schedule? It's you. You're the one who's responsible for the pace that you've been running at. And, and my fear is that you're going to keep running at 100% until something comes along and forces you to run at a slower pace. What's it going to take for you to build some rest and margin into your life? For some of you, it is going to be a mental breakdown. That is the only thing that is ever going to stop you from the life imbalance that you've been living. It's a shame. It doesn't have to be that way, but I see it all the time. Some of you, your body is going to give you, like, you're going to have a heart attack. And your body is like, dude, I've been trying to warn you for years that we needed to slow down. And you wouldn't listen, so I got to do what I got to do. For some of you, it's a divorce or a bankruptcy. I mean, I don't know, guys, but there is like, there is this push, this drive to keep going at 100%. You were not designed to live that way. And if you continue to try to live at that pace, eventually you're gonna find yourself in the same situation that Elijah did. Pastor Rick Warren has this amazing quote. He says, if we burn the candle at both ends, we're not as bright as we think we are. Oh man, that's good. All right, so yes, life imbalance. That's the first reason we find ourselves in the cave. Second one is isolation and loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. You might've noticed there in uh, verses three and four, the scripture says that Elijah left his servant at the town and he traveled alone into the wilderness. He went all by himself. Now look, there are times in which being alone is good for you. You understand that? There are times in which you need to be alone. I'm soloing the West Coast Trail starting on Tuesday. I'm gonna go be alone with the bears. I'm so excited, I can't wait. But many people are soloing life. They're not soloing one hike, one week. They're living their entire existence all by themselves. They have nobody around them that's encouraging them, nobody that's praying for them, nobody that's helping them. And I get it. Like for so many of us, it's like, I barely have enough energy for my own issues and dramas, much less everybody else's issues and drama. And so it seems like the easiest thing to do would just be to isolate yourself from all the relationships that God has brought your way. I get that. But you were not designed to live life alone. You were designed to live life in community with other people. What do you think the first problem the Bible ever identifies on earth is? What's the first problem that the Bible ever says existed on earth? You say, well, back in Genesis, it was when like um, Adam and Eve, they ate that fruit, right? Wrong. That's Genesis 3. 
in Genesis chapter number one, the first chapter of the Bible, God says it is not good for mankind to be alone. And so he creates woman. So this, this first problem we see is a lack of community. Foundationally, God says it's bad if we are by ourselves. Let me give you another example. On the night that Jesus was arrested, the Bible says that he has the last supper with his disciples. And as they finish up, he says, fellas, I need to go pray to prepare myself for what's about to happen. And so he grabs three of his closest followers and he brings them into the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, guys, my, my soul is sorrowful unto death. So stay here with me and pray that I would be able to endure what's coming my way. Jesus Christ, in his lowest moment, needed people around him. Look, if Jesus needs friends around him, you and I need friends around us as well. This is why we're doing our Connect Group semester this fall. I got to tell you, as we you know, heard all the new regulations this week and stuff like that, we had a real conversation among our staff about like, maybe we should just cancel the small group semester because it's weird and like, what are we allowed to do and not allowed to do and are people going to want, you know, whatever. And eventually we just realized, no, 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 now more than ever, we need relationships in which the world is telling us like uh, the words that we keep hearing are, you know, social distancing and mandatory isolation and all of that sort of stuff. We need to be in relationships and community with each other now more than ever. So we've got connect. We have 10 connect groups that are happening this semester. After the service, you can wander out there. You can find out exactly what, uh, what's going on, when they're happening. We have groups that are happening in person. We have groups that are happening online if you're comfortable with that. Why? Because we know people need relationships. I told the first service, you know, a lot of semesters, we're very concerned with like, how many groups do we have? How many people are engaged in groups? Is the number growing semester to semester? Are we gaining ground? Honestly, I don't even care about any of that right now. I just want you guys to be in relationship with one another so you don't have to face this next season alone. So you don't have to feel like there's nobody around that knows the pain and the weight that you're carrying around every day. This is about you getting out of isolation, you getting rid of the loneliness that you experience and instead embracing the community that God has for you. Third reason we find ourselves sliding into the cave, second reason rather is isolation and loneliness. All right, the third is rumination and self-talk. Rumination and self-talk. Rumination is a word that means to think about something again and again. But actually, that's the metaphorical use of the word. The literal use refers to cows. Do we have any farmers in the room? Any farmers? Okay, we're all city people here, apparently. Okay. So cows are what are called ruminant animals. And that means that they get out in the pasture and they eat grass. Like, mm, this is good grass. And they chew it up and they swallow it. That's normal, right? That's what we do. Except then cows cough it back up into their mouth and they chew it some more and then they swallow it, and then they spit it back up and chew it, and the process repeats itself over and over again. Ugh, gross, right? Except you and I do the same thing. We tend to cough up. We tend to spit out all the negative stuff, all the lies the enemy has been telling us, all the drama and problems and issues that we've been dealing with. We tend to just think about it over and over again. How many of you guys understand this stuff doesn't get better the more times you bring it back up? It gets worse. And yet, we continue to ruminate. We continue to talk negatively to ourselves and about our situation. And this is exactly what Elijah does. 
You notice here in both verse 10 and verse number 14 that God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And he repeats the exact same speech both times. Oh God, you know, I've been serving you with all my heart for so stinking long. It's been so good. I've done all these miracles, but these stupid Israelites, they're tearing down your altars. They're turning their back on you. They're killing your prophets and I'm the last one left and now they're gonna kill me too. It's almost like he's got this speech rehearsed. You know what I mean? He's told this a time or two to himself. He has ruminated on all of these things that he said again and again and again so that the second somebody asks him about it, he's already got that. It's there. But here's the thing. None of it is true. If you read ahead in, in 1 Kings chapter number 19, what you find out is that God has a remnant of thousands of Israelites who have not worshiped Baal. So he's not alone. He's not the last one left. He's not going to be put to death, but he can't believe the truth because he's ruminated for so long on the lie. He can't believe there is another story. And so our challenge is not to continue to rehearse the same untruths over and over again. You know what Jesus said in John? In the book of John, Jesus said that the devil is a liar. And when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue because he's been a liar from the very beginning. You have an enemy that wants you to believe lies about yourself and your situation. And if we aren't careful, we'll begin to listen to those lies and rehearse those lies. And then that becomes the only thing that we believe is true. This rumination, this self-talk is so detrimental. We've got to exchange the old lies, even the ones that we've been believing for a long time. We've got to exchange them for the eternal truth of God. To believe what he says about our situation, to trust the promises he says about us, rather than the negative things that the enemy is constantly whispering in our ear. So the third reason we slide into the cave, rumination and negative self-talk. Fourth one, comparison. Comparison. Now, this one's a little more subtle. You might have just kind of glossed right over this, but I think it's really interesting. In verse number four, when Elijah prays, God, I've had enough, please just take my life. I'm done, take my life. Why does he say that? He says, for I am no better than my ancestors. He is comparing himself to a group of people in this moment. See, throughout history, the Israelites had failed to follow God. They had failed to overcome evil. They had failed to worship God the way that he deserved. And for years, Elijah had felt like he was doing great. He's like, man, I'm a man of God. I'm a prophet. All these miracles are happening. It's awesome. And then he goes into this season of despair and depression. And suddenly he feels like he fails to measure up to this ideal standard that he has. Now, you and I have a tendency to compare ourselves in a little bit of a different way. We pull up Instagram and we compare ourselves to everybody's highlights, right? And we're like, I don't measure up to that ideal. I'm never gonna be that kind of mom. I'm never gonna be that kind of husband. I'm never gonna live in that kind of house. I'm never gonna have that kind of job or drive that kind. We compare ourselves just like Elijah did. And that unhealthy comparison, it has a way of deepening our problem. So here's the way I see this playing out. We look on Instagram, we compare ourselves to other people, and then we start to ruminate on negative self-talk. Oh man, I'm a failure. My sister, she's got it all together. Everything about her life is amazing. Everything about my life is awful. So rumination and self-talk. 
Then we decide, oh, you know what? Rather than dealing with this, I'm going to isolate myself from it. And so we unfollow these people. We refuse to hang out with them anymore. And we isolate ourselves. Then we get tired of that. And we're like, you know what? Maybe if I gave it another go and I just worked harder, I finally got a girlfriend or I was able to get a promotion or whatever it might be, then I would, you know, I would feel like I've accomplished something. And we live a life of imbalance. All of these things are all tied together. Every single one of them is indicative of the exact same problem and one feeds into the other. This unhealthy comparison is the thief of joy. And guys, it is the surest way to find yourself in the cave of despair. All right, last one. This is it. Loss of perspective. Loss of perspective. Why do we find ourselves in the cave? Because we have a loss of healthy perspective. So let me ask the question, what was it that caused Elijah to be depressed in 1 Kings chapter number 19? You might say, well, Jezebel tried to kill him, but that's wrong. If you pay close attention, Jezebel never actually tried to kill him. She threatened to kill him. You see it there in, in verse number two. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Okay, now watch this. If Elijah had proper perspective, if he had just a moment to take a step back and to think about what she was saying there, he probably wouldn't have freaked out the way he did. Why? Because for three years, God had miraculously delivered him again and again and again. So why would he think that God is going to suddenly abandon him now? He should have had confidence because of what God had already done. But the second reason is, if Jezebel had actually planned on killing Elijah, she wouldn't have sent a messenger, she would have sent an assassin. You know what I'm saying? Like if she actually wanted him dead, he would have been dead. She would have sent a guy and rather than saying, I'm gonna read this note to you, Jezebel's gonna kill you, he would have just been like, and stagged him with a dagger and that would have been it. But he didn't do that, she didn't do that. Why? Because she wanted to threaten him. She wanted to scare him. And catch this now, it was Elijah's anxieties about the worst case scenario playing out that caused him to slide into depression. It wasn't the facts, it was his fears that caused him to go into the cave. And you and I, obviously, we are exactly the same. We find ourselves in the cave of despair and depression when we lose our proper eternal perspective on the things that God wants us to see. This doesn't mean that we, you know, okay, well, I don't ever pretend like life is hard. You know, I don't ever acknowledge the difficulties and the seasons that I'm in and stuff. No, that's not the case. But we never allow our current situation to cause us to believe that there is no hope, that there is no path to escape. We take these little things, you guys, guys, these things that are honestly, like 50 years from now, so much of what we're worried about ain't going to matter one single bit at all. And yet it fills our mind. It fills our view. We can't see a way around it. We can't see a way past it. And then the things that should be huge, these awesome moments of victory like Elijah had with, you know, the miracle on Mount Carmel and all that, it just seems like a distant memory. Who even knows what that was all about? All I can see today is what is right in front of me. We have a loss of eternal perspective, and that's unfortunate. Because we're called to live in light of Romans chapter number eight, which is a passage of great victory. I mean, if God is for us, who can be against us? So this loss of perspective, unfortunately, causes us to go into the cave and to stay there. All right, I've gotta be done. This passage forms essentially a checklist, right? A checklist. And what's crazy to me is that although this episode from Elijah's life, it happened 3,000 years ago, it's literally still the same stuff that you guys are dealing with right now in 2021. I'm fighting this, you're fighting this, it's wild. So as you're seeing 
these reasons that Elijah ended up in the cave, I'm wondering how you, your life compares. And if you see, oh man, one or two or three of these things is true, can you really pay attention to that? Don't ignore it. Don't look past it. Because this is a warning essentially from God. Hey, you've got a chance here to change some things so that you don't end up in the place that Elijah did. You don't end up in the place that so many, even well-intentioned believers do. If we run at an unsustainable pace, if we isolate ourselves from healthy relationships, if we ruminate on the lies of the enemy, if we compare ourselves in unhealthy ways to people, and if we have a loss of perspective on what really matters in life, then we will find ourselves trapped in despair and depression. But God offers us a way out. You're gonna see next week, Kyle is gonna be preaching. He's gonna start to share with you some ways out of the cave. And then I'm gonna finish it up in two weeks. I promise you it's gonna be an incredible message. But for today, if you're taking stock and you realize some of these things are true of you, can you address them? Can you bring them to God? Can you submit yourself to him in these areas? It may be the only thing that keeps you from going into the cave. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge and encouragement that it is. And I pray that today, if we sense that we are headed down the same path that Elijah was on, that Lord, we would allow your spirit to intervene and that God, we would submit and surrender to you and that Lord, we would address these things so that they do not derail your purpose for our lives. Thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would be with us and bless us in Jesus' name, amen.